0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. How do profound paranormal experiences change people? What do experiencers have to tell the rest of us? What are the Galileo interviews? Well, welcome to the 694th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on ON 1240 Radio, celebrating 70 years on the air. I'm not Ben, obviously. Uh, Ben, unfortunately, is uh, under the weather today and will not be with us. Uh, But we have those 16th century questions to start with. And uh, today we welcome a guest who's looking uh, behind the paranormal, as it were, to find some of the more profound insights that can be drawn from it. And we welcome your calls today. It's 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, or paul at behindtheparanormal.com if you would like to send an email. Charles Credo has studied UFO and alien phenomena since the age of 11 when his father disclosed a close encounter around 1976 in the Exeter, New Hampshire area. Charles has a bachelor's degree in criminology and associates in (coughs) law enforcement, uh, is a licensed social worker, and has held a a private investigator's license. He has over 12 years' experience professionally interviewing people and working with state government agencies in New England. He he is tied into his experience in conducting the Galileo interviews, which began in 2016. Charles has carried on his research at UFO hotspots in the U.S. and Mexico, and has appeared on many radio shows, including this one only two weeks ago as part of a live on-air panel from the Saucer Symposium in New Hampshire. But this is his first live solo appearance on Behind the Paranormal. Charles Credo, welcome to Behind the Paranormal.
1: Thank you so much for having me, and it's so good to talk to you again.
0: Very good. Uh, I will uh, re- refrain from uh, giving into the temptation to ask you if you actually interviewed Galileo. However, could you tell us what the Galileo interviews are and why you are conducting them? Absol-
1: Absolutely, I'd love to. Um, and thank you again for having me on the show. And I'm sorry Ben couldn't be
0: here. Yeah, he is too. Um,
1: <laughs> so the Galileo interviews are kind of a brainchild that I had for a little over a year and a half now. Um, as you're aware, I am one of the co-founders of Coast Saucers, along with Mike Stevens and Valerie uh, Roy. And um, we were noticing in a lot of the groups that we were holding, with people that would come in, all of these stories that defy logic itself. We would hold meet-up groups, and people would come in, and they talk about these stories. And um, what was happening is I was starting to notice there were so many stories that defied any logic on how science gives us this day-to-day understanding of what's real and what isn't, and uh, I started saying to myself, "Who is it that's interviewing these people?" I mean, you know, now and again you'll find a YouTube video where they interview somebody who claims to have these experiences. I said, "You know, we've got to start capturing some of these stories." And I kind of set off uh, earlier this year uh, on kind of a quest to uh, start interviewing people whose stories I found uh, fascinating and that questioned uh, what we know as uh, reality, dimensions, time, consciousness, and uh, are we alone? And those are the things that I try to set out to do with these interviews. But I also try to caption that human interest story, which a lot of people don't do, which is to say that there is a human aspect to all of this, which is what do we have to go through in order to have these experiences, and so on and so forth. So that is kind of what the Galileo interviews us.
0: Well, it sounds like a standard Ben and I could strive for as well in interviewing. Uh, who have you interviewed so far, Chuck?
1: Well, I just, uh, months before, in March, I just finished up my third interview. And so far, uh, and we are going to release this week, I actually just almost finalized uh, the first interview, but we have uh, a lovely interview that will be released this week, and that will be the first one we've officially released, and that will be with Marina Rose, who's fascinating uh marina is a uh, she actually takes people on uh on trips to various uh places in south america as well as bimini to swim with dolphins and hmm. these are spiritual journeys for self-awareness and um so the first interview that i'm releasing will be with her and she's had fascinating experiences with dolphins uh telepathy and most recently in experience with um, a being that was not human, Um, and that will be the first interview, really, this week. Uh, We've also interviewed my co-founder, Mike Stevens, who his whole life has had experiences, and we literally go through, by age, and pick apart what his experiences have been, how they've created who he is today, and and what happened. Um, And then, furthermore, the third interview we did, which we just finished up in in March, by we, I mean me... um, (laughs) is uh, with an interesting gentleman uh, who has actually, uh, once again, just had, uh, his name is Eric Mitchell, is, is had these very strange experiences that go against all forms of logic and reality. Uh, all around, again, uh, not just abductions, but uh, actually superhuman abilities, believe it or not. We're talking about the ability to create sound in one's mind. And he... Um, claims that he will be interviewed and going through a process this summer of possibly being on ancient aliens in the future hmm. so those are our three interviews and we're going to be finishing up with the marina rose this week
0: okay if marina takes people to bimini i don't know how she keeps the sharks out of the picture uh, frankly but anyway <laughs> i might be something you want to ask it's it interesting
1: you say that because actually her story revolves around a shark experience believe it or not
0: really okay well, what was yeah. that about would
1: you like me to tell it yeah quick? please so, uh, you know, and I don't want to take her whole story away, because that will ruin the whole thing. Right. Essentially, um, here's a lady that herself has had her own struggles, and she finds who she is spiritually, and um, she starts to go to Bimini to swim with the dolphins, which is a group that she actually leads, a spiritual kind of retreat. And um, so the first experience she had, uh, and this is just last year, she is... Uh, swimming with these dolphins in Bimini, which I believe Edgar Cayce claimed that you know Atlantis sunk in. And um, she talks about looking down and seeing this huge shadow about 30 feet under her and says it was a huge shark. And all of a sudden, in front of her, all the dolphins circle her and literally hide her from her. Hmm. And she gets a message saying, don't worry about him, you're safe, you are with us.
0: Well, yeah, I guess you can't ask for more than that. <laughs> I have a couple of shark stories no, from the Coast Guard. I, mean, I could have used all those dolphins. But uh, anyway, yeah, right. We have a question from Richard in Newport, Chuck, uh, who is going to ask something that I was about to ask. How do you how do you verify the veracity of these people before you interview them?
1: Well, that's a great question because uh, so many people today, you know, have all these claims around. You know, here is my experience. Here is what happened. I got to be quite honest with you. My job is not to say believe this person or don't believe this person. Uh, I think people can make up their own mind. And more importantly, in today's day and age, everybody wants to be so sure that this story is real. This story isn't. Um, you know, I've got over 14 years doing forensic interviews uh, for state agencies, in which my job has been to try to filter out what's true and what isn't. So I like to go because there's a lot of people that I've talked to, and I wouldn't necessarily want to interview everybody because I don't necessarily think a story adds up or that a person saying certain things that that I would necessarily buy into. But I think it's really important for people to figure out what resonates with them. It's not my job to try to filter out and make people believe things. And I think in today's day and age, everybody wants to. To try to figure every little piece out. And that's not what I'm here for. What I am here for is to bring these stories that I from people who I think are somewhat credible mm-hmm. and kind of bring those out to the public so that they can then take what means something to them. Kind of okay. like an all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet. okay, right. Take what you want leave the rest behind.
0: Okay. All right. What would you say uh, so far have been the primary insights, the, mo- the most hard-hitting insights to you that you've learned from conversations with these folks?
1: Geez, that's another great question. Um, It's pretty... I mean, I started this to try to question what is reality, right? Right. And um, I think when someone... And again, my father had an experience when I was a kid, uh, or before I was born, and he told me when I was a kid about this experience, and that shifted my whole paradigm itself. So when you ask me, like, what is a story that, that really did it for me? I got to tell you, my dad's story started off and everything since then has been sort of, okay, let's go down that rabbit hole more. But, you know, when I hear stories around um, these, you know, something just appearing into a room or a face appearing into a window and, uh, you know, like Michael Stevens, for instance, is a long time experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, here's somebody that is on a second floor window and all of a sudden a face of a non-human entity appears and is just there and scares him, and all of a sudden a bird comes flying in, crashes into a window, and since that day he can't be around birds. They freak him out. Really? Um, which is fascinating. He strikes me, I um, know him too, so many, he
0: strikes me as a very quiet person. He is. Yeah.
1: He is. He's. he's uh, you know, if you've ever met Mike Stevens, this is probably the most loyal uh, guy you're ever going to meet, mm-hmm. and he's very quiet. And uh, I think it's very hard for him. In fact, he's even been happy that I didn't release his first because, you know, he's got to, it's sort of like coming out of that closet. Sure. You know, having people know that. And that's not easy for people.
0: No, it's not. It really
1: isn't. It takes a lot of strength to have these conversations.
0: Yeah. One thing we've noticed, uh, Chuck, and maybe you have too, is that these experiences hit hardest uh, on people who are not, Generally thinking about the paranormal, I'm thinking of uh, you know, healthcare professionals, even some scientists, uh, people who are uh, hard-headed and skeptical, as we say, and yet these things will happen to them, and the, it 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 completely upends their very comfortable intellectual paradigm, you know. And, and it, it just it really have you noticed? Have you interviewed anyone like that yet, or, or do you plan to? Because I could give you a few names. <laughs>
1: No, I've interviewed a few people like that, and I'm always up for more names, by the way. Yeah.
0: Just, uh, I would
1: say what's really fascinating with Marina, she was somebody that was never into UFOs, didn't necessarily believe in aliens, any of that. And she goes to meditate one night. And again, I'm giving away a lot of the interview, and it's fascinating itself, but I will say, here's somebody that's never researched aliens, never researched anything around UFOs. She goes for a meditation, and all of a sudden, in her meditation, she's going on the ship. And she's in the ship, and she's meeting this being. And she's like, all right, that's fascinating. I'll see what happens next. And she takes it to the next level. She comes out of a meditation. She says, all right, it's time to plant a tree and get grounded, because this is just too crazy. She looks out her window, and there is the same ship she was just on in her meditation, but in real life, in reality, mm-hmm. as we say. And it's dancing around the sky. And here's somebody that, that had to, like, she had to totally rethink everything about where she sits in. Same thing with my father, and I'm sure that's what you're getting at. There are are so many people that don't think about this, and when it happens, it's like, what do I do with that? Do I compartmentalize it, put it away, and never have to deal with it? What do I do? And I think that's what a lot of people do. It's fascinating to me, the the psychology behind it.
0: It's true. Uh, One thing that we are uh, very adamant about is that people bring their own... Experiences and perceptions and preconceptions sometimes to these experiences. Uh, an example of what I'm talking about is because uh, uh, we're doing the final edit on our new book on uh, behind the paranormal, Bigfoot, Mothman, and monsters you never heard of, which is count, which is going to press this week by some miracle. And it's um, <laughs> I'm thinking of Linda Godfrey, who was a renowned uh, cryptozoologist and experiencer, and, and not necessarily an experiencer, but a researcher uh, who has done a lot of work on upright. Canine cryptids, you know. Can anybody say werewolf? <laughs> However, she doesn't like to use the term because of the baggage. But anyway, these things, there are phenomena that, that occur in this regard. She was talking about something about a museum owner in the Midwest taking her down to a basement and shutting off the light, and all of a sudden there was this, this big ball of light. And they both saw it at the same time. Uh, and yet, when someone else goes down there, they can turn light the, and they can see a whole person. They call him Basement Billy. Because, he, you know, it's, it's some, but it, what is seen depends on the person. So, in other words, she said she didn't go in with any preconceived notions, so she just saw this ball of energy, and someone went down expecting to see a quote-unquote ghost, and they did. All right? So it, that, that's a long lead-in to a short question. What do you think people bring to these experiences based on your, what you've learned from your interviews? Or, or is it well, just we one. sit there like lumps and these things just happen to us? Right,
1: yeah, so it's a great question. Um, there's a lot of people that, you know, they bring their own stuff into the experience, right? Like Marina, for instance, was not expecting to have a UFO experience, but when she did, she could identify that as a UFO and a non-human or an ET, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody else in that spot, when they have an encounter, might say it's a demon because they're, they have maybe a Catholic background and they can equate it to demons. I've yeah, been, been experiencing with a... <laughs> yeah, you know more about that than anybody. Um, they, it, it's fascinating because when people come in with preconceived notions, their belief systems, they have to then do one of two things when they have an experience that doesn't fit into that. They have to, one, either dismiss everything and do what I think, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think what you and I have done, which is say, I really don't know the first thing about this, but I'm interested and I want to know more and I'm going to look into it, mm-hmm. right?
2: hmm yeah.
1: Or two, they form their belief system and what they experienced around their belief system itself. In other words, I had this experience, here's what it is, it must be a demon because I don't believe aliens exist and I believe demons exist. Mm-hmm. Or, I had a ghost experience, it must must have been Satan trying to tempt me with this or that or it uh, must have been uh, any number of things. So, you know, I say to people all the time that, that want to talk with me and sit down and have conversations around what do you think it was about, first question I ask them is what do you think it was about? Yes. You know, people always look for the answers in other people and I think we have the answers within ourselves a lot of the time and as long as we're not filtering that through confirmation bias, um, we can actually get way more information out of it than somebody else telling us what to think.
0: Interesting. Have, you, have your own viewpoints, Chuck, changed as a result of these interviews so far? So far? Yeah.
1: Hmm, that's a great question. Uh, well,
0: you sure like my questions today.
1: I do, I do. <laughs> I, you know, for those that don't know, I mean, I, you know, I've known you now for a couple of years, and I, I could talk to you all day. Being on the radio with you right now doesn't feel any different. You know? <laughs> well, I, good. I so thoroughly enjoy talking with you um, because of these questions. But, um, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. They haven't necessarily shifted my belief system yet. But rather, that what they've done is just given me more fodder to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, what I mean by that more specifically is, so far I have not interviewed anybody that has told me something that has absolutely blown me out of the water where I had to like rethink everything. Because I have learned over the last, I don't know, five, six years to just throw all of those beliefs that I have out the window mm-hmm. and allow information to come to me. I like that. And that's a hard thing to do. It is. I like to, I like to think about my belief systems as a feather, right? Yeah. There are people walking around today and they have these anvils. And what I mean by anvils, I mean these beliefs, or whether they be religious, spiritual, personal, uh, political, uh, which we've seen a lot lately, and they're like anvils, and they have to show everybody how heavy they are, and they hold them up, and they say, look at this, this is what I believe, look at me. I like to do the same thing, but with a feather.
2: <laughs> I like which that, is yeah. to
1: say, I like to be able to, if something doesn't serve me or it doesn't fit into my understanding, I like to just go ah, and blow it out of my hand and pick up a new feather, because life isn't about fitting things in boxes. Mm-hmm. It's about, well, at least for me, it's learning the truth
0: yes well believe me uh, you and I are an, alike enough for me to tell you that it gets easier as you get older <laughs> as far as you know <laughs> trying to absorb things um, Well, as you carry on the interviews uh, and this is just a pretty much of a practical question what subject matter do you find people have experienced the most uh, UFOs uh, ghost phenomena bigfoot you know, anything is there any particular area of the paranormal or does it all kind of blend into a consciousness So because thing. of
1: what I'm involved in, Paul, I'm involved with a lot of... Um, I run social groups through Seacoast authors right. of New England. And because of that, a lot of the people that I find in their stories have to do with eating stuff. Mm-hmm. But those stories all question the nature of reality. Yes. So for me, it, it's almost, you know, it's the watering hole theory. If, you know, you're on a game preserve. All you have to do is sit around the watering hole to see every animal come through mm-hmm. at some point. Unfortunately, all the animals that are at my watering hole have to do with UFOs and E.T. So, you know, just like with you, people are probably seeking you out for a number of things, but in some cases, more specifically, ghosts yes. and kind a of paranormal Yeah, yeah. So I'm always looking for, and I'm always meeting new people who have fascinating stories, but for the most part, a lot of the people coming to me saying, you know, I've got the story that I, that I talk to and say, would you like to do an interview? They have to do the EP stuff because that's what I do for, for my passion is uh, help people talk about, engage, and, and make social change around experiences that they have.
0: Okay. Can you give some more examples of things people have told you, you know, without... Consider, consider that you're whetting people's appetite to listen to the interviews. You're not giving, this, giving it sure. away necessarily.
1: Oh, geez, yeah. I mean, I've, you know, I have so many stories through the years just because I, if I find someone intriguing, I'd love going to coffee with. Them. I've got two people that I'm just waiting to go to coffee with now. I've probably gone to coffee with at least six people in the last four months. And you always know I'm interested in your story when I ask you if you want to go to coffee.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and there's probably at least five or six people listening right now that, that are laughing because they know exactly what that means. That's yeah. interesting um I have talked to a large number of people with different stories. Uh, Do you want to know specifically about people that are in the interviews or just people in general?
0: Well, I think people who are in the interviews, that's uh, because we want to get people to listen to the interviews.
1: Sure. So um, I'll tell you about, uh, I'll tell you, you know, Mike Stevens is is fascinating. So here is a colleague of mine who is himself, and and he's had an unlimited number of experiences. We don't even know. And uh, we sat down prior to the interview and I said, you know, Mike, have you really ever written out dates when you think these things happen, how old you roughly were or where you were living? And he goes, no. Yet he's done many talks and, and public discussions on his experiences. And I said, well, why don't we start to look at dates? So I kind of took him interview style chronologically through his life. And when we looked at it, we noticed, for instance, uh, when he was young, he remembers the first experience he had. Here's a guy that he's with his, his cousin, and uh, he looks up, and uh, there's this spacecraft, and then there's like what we would call missing time. And in some mm-hmm. cases, and this is fascinating, time sits still. Everything's frozen, and, and he's moving. And um, he can recall that happening on multiple occasions. He can recall... Um, you know, one of, the, one of the stories is just, I mean, it's amazing. Here he is, he's in his teens, and uh, he was at a friend's house one night, and he decides that he's going to walk home late at night. And he wakes up, and he's in bed, but he has no pants on. He's looking for his wallet and his pants, and he can't find them. So he gets another pair on, and he starts retracing his steps, and he realizes, oh, my God, I came home with pants. These pants don't exist. My wallet was in them. never found his wallet or pants but went to an abandoned house that he felt persuaded to go to and found tracks kind of leading down to that area and was absolutely convinced that he was there but has no clue how he got home and he wasn't drinking he wasn't using drugs uh this is just one of many experiences that defy logic like why would you think that right Mm -hmm. um i've got other people that uh for instance uh Eric Mitchell's fascinating. Here's somebody that never believed in any of this stuff and uh he was he, he was living in another state and all of a sudden UFOs start coming to the point where all his neighbors are seeing these UFOs over where he's living. And then he starts to have these experiences and everybody's seeing them as he has the experiences. And he moves here thinking he's going to get away from it all and everything follows him. Um, I would say probably the most bizarre thing and I wasn't able to get it on tape, was Eric Mitchell trying to demonstrate, and he's done this uh, on other footage that he will probably release later this year in his own his own way, but he's able to actually create sound with his brain.
0: Sound and, that other people uh, can hear.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, he tried doing it with me, but I'm a little deaf in one ear. And years ago, he took a stethoscope, which he'll take with him sometimes. And he'll have you listen his head, and he will close his eyes, concentrate, and everybody can hear the shifted sound. And he's actually tried to record it underwater in a pool, I believe, which you can hear the sound better, and it's really fascinating. He says he's been able to capture it a few times. Um, His story is fascinating in the sense that he has had these experiences all start up uh, a number of years ago, and they've just gotten... I hate to use the word crazy, but crazier and crazier as time goes on. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Just fascinating stuff.
0: Why did you call them the Galileo interviews?
1: (laughs) So, you know, I was searching for a name that would resonate with, not just myself, but with other people. And uh, I was always fascinated with Galileo. You know, a lot of... And I'm not talking just the, the, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody Queen song. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I, you know, I've always been fascinated with him and I, and I started looking into him and reading up about him and I realized he was somebody that was um, trying to bring technology and understanding of the world forward at a time they weren't ready for him. And what he did was he forced people to start having to look at in this case we were at the center of the universe. You know, back when he was alive in the 1500s it was the sun revolves around the earth and the Catholic Church had that as doctrine and you don't challenge those things. And um, he ended up having to go to bat for what he believed in. And I think in many ways he really stood as a great example of somebody who will try to bring information forward and it's up to other people if they want to choose to drop their preconceived notions and look at what's going on. And I I, for the last six years, have been noticing there's been so many people that have had stories they want to share, but they can't talk to anybody.
0: Okay. Well, with that, and we're going uh, to <coughs> carry that over beyond our break, but we're going to take our break right now. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Benino you know, on ON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley, broadcasting for 70 years, and congratulations to our colleagues here. We'll be right back. Stick with us.
1: Hi, everybody. This is Mark Darrow, the host of PRN's Garage Pass.
0: For all the latest
1: NASCAR racing news and information, listen to PRN's Garage Pass every Tuesday through Saturday at 7.40 a.m. on ON 1240 WOON, One Socket Radio. PRN's Garage Pass is sponsored by Seacog Speedway, the action track of the East.
0: And we're back behind the paranormal today. This is Paul Eno. Uh, ben is not with us today because he's uh, under the weather. And we have our very interesting and wonderful guest, Chuck Credo from New Hampshire, uh, Maine I should say, both. And uh, we're talking about the Galileo interviews uh, that he has been conducting, uh, going behind as it were the, uh, the experiences of people who have had remarkable ones and uh, have insights to give to all of us, uh, things that perhaps we are not used to hearing. So, uh, Chuck, uh, d- why don't you just finish up your thought about Galileo himself, why you named them after him, and uh, the inspiration that that created, and then we'll get on into some uh, things about you. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, again, Galileo is one of these people that um, challenged the preconceived belief systems of his time. And I think we're at a period where people are ready to start hearing other people's experiences. And there's always going to be the doubt, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And... Like the original question that was asked, how do you know that these, these are real experiences? I don't. What I do know is there are so many people that are having very similar experiences. And in my opinion, they they don't seem like they're trying to deceive me.
2: Okay. And
1: um, I, I think it's important to bring these stories forward um, because our next, development as man is is to question what we can prove and what we can't. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's way more to what reality is.
0: Well, I certainly agree. You just, uh, Chuck, anticipated the question that we had for you already, uh, and that's parallel experiences. As you interview different people, and even beyond the Galileo interviews, you rub elbows with some interesting folks, um, and and, and some of the same people we, we rub elbows with. Do you find people reporting parallel experiences and Really parallel reactions to them. In other words, uh, on the same night, this happened to one person and then to another, and they don't necessarily know each other. You know, parallel experiences in in, in uh, that sense and in the broader sense.
1: Well, let me speak to, to myself first, and then I can get into other people. Okay. Um, I think the first parallel experience that really <laughs> stuck out in my mind. I was doing uh, sort of like a group meditation or sacred space with a with a group of people where we would sit in a circle and we would do a meditation and then we'd journal without talking. um, Exactly what we experienced in that meditation. I can remember very clearly one time seeing in my meditation this big red Chinese dragon that they would have in a parade, you know? Mm -hmm. The mouth opening and the big whiskers. And I remember writing it down in this journal right after and then we went around and shared. And I remember that there was, the woman that was leading the meditation shared her journal and we looked at each other's journals and we defined the same thing same color same definition same type of dragon mouth opening I mean all of this stuff and I said how can that happen like how is it that two people who haven't talked about this are having a very similar experience and we're journaling it without talking about it so we know the other one isn't feeding off the other right Mm -hmm. and what I'm seeing is I'm seeing so many different examples of this with for instance the induction experiences, right? Yeah. So, one story I feel like c- I can confidently share um, in one of the groups that we lead um, called Social Saucers, it, these two people that have never met each other ever before um, both came to a group, and one of them starts to share their story and says, You know, um, I was coming home from a southern state one time, and uh, I was with uh, my then husband and my newborn child, and we're going north, and all of a sudden, our car breaks down, and, uh, you know, our windshield wipers weren't working, and we pull over in the middle of this horrific rainstorm. And uh, immediately, when we pulled over into this, like, gas station, this man pulls up, with a hood on, and holds up the exact item that we need to fix our car, and says, I'll help you with this. And, she looks, and he's driving, this guy is driving the same exact make, model, and year as the car they're driving, which at the time was like a, some strange, like, 69 Mustang yellow, right?
2: Hmm.
1: Rare car in the, in the early 80s. So um, this guy ends up, you know, fixing the car, and we're like, what's this guy look like? And she said, like a young Peter Frampton. <laughs>
2: hmm.
1: Gold locks, and we're laughing our heads off, and thinking, boy, that's an interesting story. But this other woman who was there for the first time, shared a very similar story they they had never met, one of them was a first timer and this woman says, well I was coming home from a southern New England state with some friends and they were in the back seat were driving, she was driving a Volkswagen Bug and uh, all of a sudden the car breaks down and she looks and immediately pulling up next to her in the same exact color year Volkswagen Bug as her a, a man pulls up and he's got the exact part, like some belt, that needs to be fixed. And he says, open your hood, I'll, I'll fix it. And every time she tries to look at his face, he turns away, like he's trying not to show her a face. And she thought it was odd. And she thought it was even more odd that her friends in the back were absolutely not paying any attention to anything. And then he fixes the car, and she's on her way. Um, these are two very similar and strange stories. Yeah, they are. That make no sense. And both of these people, we're sharing at the same meeting. And this is just one example of people that will come to one of our meetings at Seacoast Saucers. And uh, I've had people show up for the second or third time, and they look over, and there's somebody that just showed up, and they're like, you look really familiar. Well, you look familiar. Oh, my God, I remember I put a, a help wanted ad for this. I needed a ride somewhere, and you answered it, and we spent a whole day together. Years and years ago, and they remember each other.
0: Amazing synchronicities. You know? I they're see called you know, yeah, like all the bizarre time. ones. Yeah, exactly. It, it and it gets into because y- you're the basis of everything we do is the nature of consciousness. I think is that that in a way I think maybe determines what we call reality. The notion of synchronicities. I'm thinking of. Um, i just, and they've all happened to us, and, and we have Tim Beckley on the show now and then, and he, he's uh, concentrating on the work of Philip K. Dick and synchronicity things of this kind. We're going to have a show in a few weeks, and you and I have talked about this too. It's almost as if there's something behind all of it, all our lives, that is a matrix or a pattern or something conscious, or I, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe it, that that, that creates things like this things that you couldn't make up um, as far as synchronicities are concerned. Um, I don't have the kind of luck where people come to the, the car and want to fix it. But it reminds me of the men in black experience, really, in a way, from, from a different point of view. You know, the whole men in black thing where people have had UFO experiences particularly and sometimes other paranormal kinds of things. These men in black will come and, and come to your door and, and they, they don't blink their eyes and they, they, it's very strange and, you know, don't talk about this and... All this business—have um, you? Does that ring a bell with you? I mean, as far as these kinds of people who sort of show up and you know they don't want you to see their face and everything you've described—it it does remind me of the Man in Black experience.
1: It does. It absolutely does. And that's not the only one. I mean, I've got other stories that are so similar. But you know, you really remind me of something that I did want to touch on and that is so important to sure. think about when we have these. You know, one thing that I, early on, always struggled with was, like, the stories with the men in black. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody would get a phone call, for instance, in the 70s, and uh, this is actually in Maine, a case where somebody got a phone call in the 70s and said, you know, they were from some newspaper or something from New Jersey and they wanted to talk, can we meet? Oh, sure, we can meet sometime. Okay, hang up the phone, the doorbell rings three seconds later.
0: <laughs>
1: and it's a man in black, you know? I mean, how does that happen, Right. It can't happen. That's impossible.
0: Not in the 70s with no cell phones.
1: So, I've always just kind of like, and this is because I had a box that these things couldn't fit in. I was always like, it's got to be full of crap. Excuse my French. It's got to be full. Right? Mm -hmm. It can't happen. Well, one of the things we try to touch on in in the Galileo interviews is the questions of what are dimensions? Could they be a big part of what's really going on? So, you know, to the layperson, if you've never looked into what fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth dimensional theory is through string theory, it gets really fascinating. Time itself, they, they claim, according to string theory, is the fourth dimension, which I would think we all have a understanding of time, right? Yeah. At least we think we do. Well,
0: without duration, nothing can exist.
1: Right. Right. You have to, in order, It's think about plotting. Like, go back to your, your math and, in you know... You have to plot things, right? So Mm -hmm. time helps you plot um, a given spot, right? Yeah. And so time, let's just say time is that fourth dimension according to the string theory. So the fifth and sixth are really fascinating. And that's where I like to focus on, because I think they might explain some of this stuff. So fifth, according to my understanding, and I could be wrong, is when you are able to literally look at things in a fifth-dimensional reality you can see the beginning of our timeline and our reality in the end mm-hmm. and everything in between, and you can, you can look at that. Sixth is the ability to go within that timeline and literally travel in time. So if that's the case, and there are beings that are either so spiritually or technologically advanced, there's absolutely no reason that they can't access a six-dimensional understanding of things and pinpoint and go to when they need to. And that is
0: mind-blowing. It is. It is. Um, I would much rather have the spiritual advancement than the technological (laughs) (laughs) advancement. You know, because as as maybe you've heard us say during lectures, uh, who was the most technological advanced society of the 1930s? It was Germany. I mean, and would you call them spiritually advanced? I don't think so. You know, so uh, this gets into another question I wanted to to, uh, ask, Chuck, and that's about science. Now, science is very important uh, the discipline thinking the, uh, the, the procedures uh, and things of this kind that, that keep our feet on the ground very very important but it can be very difficult to apply that to paranormal studies which science does not really take seriously um, however I'm, I'm a bit alarmed in the past even 10 to 20 years that scientists seem to be more like priests guarding the doctrine Rather than questioning it, which science is supposed to do, you know, albeit questioning it in an orderly and regular manner. Okay, does has that struck you uh, as any kind of possibility? Or as we examine all these strange things that we run into in interviews,
1: I always struggle with this because I have a deep respect for science.
0: As do I. Yeah.
1: And I, you know, with today's media, and I'm I'm really big on social conditioning. I have lectures all around it. I just I think we are a very socially conditioned um, creature. As human we are. That's the nature stuff, of our species. Especially yeah. in the U.S. And I think um, when we talk about what science can prove, I often wonder, who is telling us this? You know? Who are, are these? You know, you often hear, scientists. Or who? Let's talk about that. You know, what kind of scientists? I don't always hear that, you know? Um, I go back, you know, to get back to your question around science, yes. The answer is yes. I struggle with a lot of of various things, because science can't prove any of the stories that these people are sharing with me. And again, I can't prove these people are being honest or not, but I, I trust when someone looks me in the eye that what they're saying is, to the best of their knowledge, this was their experience. Now, it doesn't mean they have the answers to why it happened, but they're having an experience and they're brave enough to share it with society. That's mm-hmm. a hard thing to do. Yeah. Especially when it questions science. So I don't know if I have the answer to that. I just, I feel like time and time again I'm hearing stories from people that to me are normally credible, but are sharing things that defy science.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: the question to me is, why? Why don't we hear, you know, scientists Using creativity, I don't
0: know. Well, there are, there are that. That's some a great example. Yeah, there are some. I mean, the, the whole well, the, the quantum physics itself has pushed the envelope way out to the to the point where a lot of other scientists are very uncomfortable. Another problem is that scientists from one field generally don't talk to scientists from another field. Interdisciplinary thinking is still not the norm, you know, which which is a serious problem. In my, I mean, we're still th- we're still thinking like it's the nineteenth century. And we, we have um, a scientist on the staff of this show. And uh, she's always running into the things that, uh, you know, uh, are, are maybe pushing the envelope of her understanding because she's come along through the, the standard academic things. Brilliant mind. But, um, you know, mind can be as brilliant as, as, as anything, but if it's not exposed to new ideas, then, you know, that, that's a problem. So, so she's great. But, uh, you know, you do run into people who just um, make you wonder, what is it that constitutes proof? You know, and, and within what paradigm? You know, is our scientific paradigm big enough? Is is the scientific method, which assumes that everything is, is material, is and ev- everything is based on matter? I mean, th- that could be wrong. I mean, it, does that have to be revised? Um, I don't know. It's just it, it, I feel as you do that there's a conundrum here, and uh, I don't think you and I are going to answer it. But it's uh, it's, cre- it's creating a problem. But it does lead to the question: What constitutes proof? What say you?
1: What say I? Um, <laughs> is this one I can just say I agree with you on?
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure. We're, we're equally confused.
1: I, I yeah, it's 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 um, you know it's really high. I mean, Albert Einstein, what did he say about creativity? He said creativity is more important than knowledge. I could be yeah. messing up that quote a little bit.
0: Well, yeah, but, I think, I think um, imagination is the beginning of knowledge.
1: Yeah, maybe that was it. Yeah. Um, I tend to agree with him. I think he knows a little more about this than anybody else. Mm. And you look at a lot of sci-fi writers, and um, these are people that become visionaries over time. I mean, the examples are countless of, of sci-fi writers that really what they did was they, they pictured the future happening. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, that's creativity, right? Yeah. I mean, we're starting to see Orson Welles 1984 come into play um, these days, and, and don't even get me started on that. But, um, you know, here is somebody is a sci-fi writer, one of the best of his time. Mm -hmm. Um, creativity itself can be the birth of so many things. Indeed. In many ways, the birth of our nation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thinking outside the box, as the the cliché goes. Chuck, uh, we're burning up the hour here. Tell us, um, are the interviews available, like on YouTube now, and you're going to be adding to them? Is that how it works?
1: Yeah, so here's... We've already done three interviews. Um, The first one is going to be released this week. Okay. first one. Great. And... uh, it will be with Marina Rose. I literally was just working on it prior to our interview and putting the final touches on it today. Mm-hmm. And uh, they will be sent out and we're g- it's going to be free. Anybody can go on YouTube and watch it or the easiest way is uh, go on Facebook and look up The Galileo Interviews. And there you can like the page. Every update that happens you will know about it. And there will be a link to all of the uh, interviews on the YouTube channel. And these are going to be absolutely free. I'm not making any money off this. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a passion of mine that I've had for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've almost felt really guided to do this. Um, and if people want to see, like, the webpage where we're going to host some of this stuff from or learn more about Seacoast Saucers of New England, well, that's an easy one. All you have to do is go to www.seacoastsaucers.com. Okay. And uh, you can find out more about our meetup groups where we literally have free of charge, donation only in Stratham, New Hampshire, groups for people to come, talk about experiences, share with other people, listen to other people's stories. Um, that's what we do, is we're trying to create social change. And whether it's the Galileo interviews or Seacoast sauces of New England, I feel very strongly that if we want to create social change in this world, we don't look for disclosure from some government telling us we have to start sharing our stories with each other so that it is not, quote-unquote, crazy to talk about this
0: anymore. You know, we re- really like that. And and uh, Ben and I have been um, uh, rubbing elbows with you folks at Se- Seacoast Saucers now for three or four years. And uh, when I first heard the name, I said, oh, you know, what's this about? But, you know, we've since gotten to know the three of you, uh, Valerie and Mike and yourself, and uh, and also Andy Kitt, who... Uh, runs the uh, the KRI Center for Consciousness there in Stratum and we are very deeply impressed with the the intellect with the giving nature uh, all the wonderful things you folks do and you are very dear friends and will remain so and uh, we do encourage anyone who is in that area or who can make the trip uh, to check the website Seacoast Saucers of New England and, and uh, as Chuck says there are some wonderful things going on it's a lovely uh, facility, it's it's it just relaxes just to walk in there. It's not big. Um, when we broadcast live from there two weeks ago, uh, we didn't have to use any special microphones except for the broadcast itself. You know, it's an int- intimate uh, environment, and it was just just wonderful. So I, I just you know, and, and I don't give praise lightly. So uh, it's really good, um, Chuck. Just uh, before we we finish up here, um, there, I had one or two other things. Do you notice that? geographically, um, there are people whom you interview who uh, maybe have more experiences than others or people you you, uh, run into who might have more experiences, say, in in your area, the seacoast area of Maine and New Hampshire, uh, or people from the mountains, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, great question. So Dean Merchant, who started the Exeter UFO Festival many years ago, is an extremely dear friend and is, is actually one of our members of the Sea Coast Office.
0: Yep, of saw him two weeks ago, yeah.
1: And I've talked with him and Mike Stevens and Valerie many times, and I've, I've been noticing certain areas. Now, you can go to the national database of UFO reportings online. You can look by state like where they are, which is important. People need to know that. But I've been very interested in two areas specifically that seem to be, I don't know, again, watering holes or, or areas of interest for me. And um, and those two areas in New Hampshire, at least, would be um, around Patuckaway State Park. So we're talking rat, um, a radius around that. And the other one, seemed, I would say a radius around, and, and this might shock people, Ossipee Mountain, which it is all in New the White Mountains, just southwest. Okay. So it's northeast of Lake Wanapasaki. And what's interesting about these two areas is. Not only are there huge clusters in the surrounding areas, all around us, but both of them have high mineral deposits. We're talking gems, precious gems that people mine. Mm-hmm. And they are both, especially Ossipi Mountain, That was the, that's the inactive ring-dike volcano that carved out everything around us. But we don't know if there's a correlation, but we find it fascinating.
0: It is interesting. Well, we've often found correlations between everything from water table... Uh, to, um, there's also the, the uh, Bougier anomaly, which a lot of people don't know about, but, uh, you know, you, you think of the Mothman I- experiences of the people in the Ohio Valley in the 1960s. Uh, th- this uh, th- a thing called the Rome Troth uh, geological feature runs from roughly from Pittsburgh all the way down to Louisville, Kentucky, right down the Ohio Valley. And th- that whole corridor is full of poltergeist activity, UFOs, uh, cryptid side, uh, you name it, it goes on there from the paranormal standpoint. And with the Bouger anomaly, what it does is uh, you think that you, gravity would get stronger as you approach the center of the earth, but with that anomaly, the terrain, sometimes when you go lower into a valley or something, uh, the gravity uh, get, becomes less. So you actually weigh a little bit less in there. <laughs> uh, and we wow. find the gravitational anomaly. So that might be something you want to look into uh, with the Osby Mountain area or with the, what was the state park? Tuckaway State Park Tuckaway around St- the Raymond,
1: New Hampshire area. Yes, yeah, so I'm not familiar with that. Hampshire-
0: okay. Oh, all right. Okay, good. So th- these are all. So speaking of science, uh, these are all um, new strands in the the tapestry of an answer, possible answer, or at least more questions uh, that that have um, come become entangled in, in recent years in paranormal studies. Uh, things that we never thought of before we're used to thinking as we call it and I know you agree with us on this sort of the island theory that we're sort of lumps and we sit there and these things just happen to us and then maybe we can report them but there is an intimate um, unity between all things and we sit there and these things uh, we participate in the reality as you yourself have uh, uh, mentioned so eloquently uh, today Chuck so um, Okay, I guess we're just about coming up on, on the end of the thing here. And just if, if you could uh, tell us what the next step is in the interviews. Uh, how many do you plan uh, to, to, or is it just open-ended?
1: Well, a couple of things. So Indefinitely,
0: okay. <laughs> to answer yep. your question. Yep.
1: And I'm just going to say this on air and put you on the spot. If you or Ben would ever like to go on the Galileo interviews, there is an open invitation. Because I think you fit the mold that we are trying to speak to about people. Just listening to some of your lectures through the years, you hit on everything from the personal aspects of what you've gone through in your in your life, going through school and what happened to you to the experiences that you had that you've had to question reality for yourself. And you've had so many. So if you're ever interested, I would love to find, you know, a half a day where we could meet up and do some of these interviews. So I'm going to put you on the spot there (laughs) and follow up with saying, um, you know, we have so many different people that we're talking to to do this and if there's anybody that likes to do editing because that seems to be my my Achilles heel at this point please look me up the Galileo Interviews at gmail.com you can reach me there or through the Facebook page Uh, if there's anybody that likes to do editing look me up because that seems to be my biggest issue
0: okay sure and uh, we would uh, simply add a PS to that uh, if you uh, do a, do an interview with Chuck make him take you to the far out diner in Dover New Hampshire oh, okay we, we had a great breakfast uh, the other week okay well Chuck thank you so much uh, for these wonderful insights we'll be talking to you very soon and why don't you give the website once again
1: absolutely and, and by the way thank you and send Ben my best. I hope he feels better. Under the weather is better than over the weather.
0: That's right. That's um, right. he we'll so, will be back uh,
1: you, can find, <laughs> you can find the Galileo Interviews on our Facebook page. It is, uh, just go to Facebook and look up the Galileo Interviews. Or you can go to Chico Saucers at com, and you'll find a page there dedicated just to the Galileo Interviews.
0: Outstanding. Uh,
1: and I want to thank everybody for listening. I especially want to thank you for your time and everything and your friendship and, and having me on today.
0: Well, it's always a pleasure when the sky's the limit. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> thank Thanks you so Chuck. much. Chuck Credo, everybody. Uh, he was kind enough to put us up at his house uh, the other uh, week uh, during the Saucer Symposium. And I got a kick out of the, Ben and I both got a kick out of the names of his, he's got a cat and a dog. The dog is Prescott and the cat is Meyer. I think it was Meyer and Prescott. sounds like a couple of lawyers. So I ask him, uh, hey, give my best to the lawyers. Anyway, uh, big announcement, folks, I guess. Uh, our new book, Behind the Paranormal, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, is about to go to press and will be ready for release at the end of the month. In fact, it uh, will be available on Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle probably within the next two weeks. Uh, you can pre-order an autographed copy now at BehindTheParanormal.com. That is... The only place right now where you can uh, place a pre-order for the autographed copy, but you will receive one of the first copies off the press. Our 2016 book, the last one, Behind the Paranormal, the first in that series, Everything You Know Is Wrong, is in most bookstores still, and if they don't have it, they can get it. It's also available at Amazon.com, uh, BarnesandNoble.com, and other online retailers. But you can get an autographed copy also at the show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. the um, and you just click on the thing and you can get either book uh, either the one that is uh, available now or the one that will be available in a few weeks so uh, we'll be, our next event we'll be back at the delightful uh, Book Lovers Gourmet Bookstore and Cafe in Webster, Massachusetts right here in our listening area uh, for a presentation on Saturday, June 17th at 1 p.m. Uh, and the presentation will be What's Really Behind the Paranormal. We had a great crowd last time. It's a fun place. Uh, a lot of great uh, baked goods and coffee and, and it's just you can sit and, and uh, among the books it's really nice and homey if you're a bookworm especially. Uh, then on Saturday, June 24th we'll be back at the Danbury Public Library in Connecticut where we will do something we've never done before. A presentation specifically for young people aged 7 to 14 years of age. The program Monster Hunters a Cryptozoology Workshop with Paul and Ben Enoch It will also be the official release uh, for the book, uh, Behind the Paranormal, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, which will be available for purchase and signing at that event. Uh, I should point out that this book is not necessarily aimed at young people. It's aimed at a general audience, uh, but you can certainly uh, get it for your teenager because uh, it's uh, something that's of interest to a lot of teens. We find cryptozoology and strange creatures is uh, a big thing now among teens, so they tell us. Uh, Next event after that, on Thursday, July 27th, uh, we'll present our program, What's Really Behind the Paranormal, at the Prospect Senior Center in Prospect, Connecticut at 1 p.m., and this is open to the public. Uh, The ParaUnity Conference in Felsmere, Florida, uh, where we will speak, uh, has been moved from August 18th to 20th to November 3rd and 4th, uh, so watch for more information on that, uh, particularly if you happen to be in Florida. Uh, Labor Day weekend September 3rd and 4th will once again find us at the Exeter UFO Festival in New Hampshire uh, it's a great annual event that benefits local children's charities sponsored by the Kiwanis Club of the Exeter area it's been years and years we've been uh, heading up there uh, other appearances this fall will be at the Brandywine Living Center in Litchfield, Connecticut uh, the Great New England UFO Conference Greater New England UFO Conference in Leominster, Mass uh, the Hudson Valley UFO Conference in Danbury, Connecticut that'll be the first time will be there, uh, in a program at the Portsmouth Public Library in New Hampshire in October. New events are being added, so check uh, BehindTheParanormal.com for those. And uh, you can also get uh, over 700 free uh, recorded shows from ON1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio uh, on that Behind the Paranormal site. And I must say that this show begins our 10th year on the air. Next Sunday, June 11th, we'll bring you an open line show uh, with our guest co-host Shane Searway to address questions from you on any and all paranormal subjects. That'll do it for this week. We'll see you then. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal.